Welcome in everybody to the Golden Homeworks podcast. We have a jam-packed episode for you. Even if, even though it's the off-season, about to hit March Madness, we are excited to talk ball with you guys. So first of all, some bad news. 2023 safety commit Brandon Hillman. He's out of the class. Notre Dame's losing basketball players left and right. There's some bad news there, but there's good news as well. Special teams coordinator vacancy is filled, as well as the offensive line coach vacancy also filled. Uh, Mike Bray's gone. However, Nathan breaks down his top four candidates for the Notre Dame men's basketball coaching search as we head into March Madness here coming soon. Let's get after it. Low snap, picked it up, takes an end zone shot, and fighting. But Kimberly goes up and gets it, and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers Podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach. All right, everybody, welcome in. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers Podcast. Switching it up a little bit today, I will be your host, Mason Plummer, aided here by my sidekick, Nathan Erbach. Uh, usually, I kind of do this the side role, but we're switching it up today. So, uh, excited to be hosting. There's a good amount of news to talk about, even when Notre Dame offseason. Um, there's still a ton to talk about. The first one we're going to mention, Nathan, unfortunately, a negative one. Potentially your favorite recruit in the 2023 cycle. Uh, I'll let you head this one up. Yeah, like you said, never a never a dull moment or boring moment in the the world of Notre Dame football specifically, which is has its perks, but also has its uh, warts, I guess, as well. But yeah, no, I mean right. Brandon Hillman. Um, I only he he was definitely like one of my favorite guys in the class. I wouldn't say he was like my favorite in the sense that I ranked him like number one. Like I think I had Braylon James number one in our end of year rankings and stuff. But mm-hmm. but Hillman was just one of those guys that had a lot of upside uh, you know was kind of a late guy to the class so it always kind of felt like he was almost Notre Dame's baby if that makes sense like they were kind of in on him before a lot of other big dogs and now you see with him you know asking out of his letter of intent and you know no longer a part of the Notre Dame 2023 class you see all these big names going after him Ohio State Michigan have both offered a lot of other highly high academic schools have offered as well. I mean, obviously, including Michigan, but, you know, Vanderbilt, Virginia, schools like that. I think USC was someone that he that was in on him sort of late in the process as well. But, I mean, I guess just getting back to, like, him as a player, I mean, losing a guy like Peyton Bowen, Hillman was supposed to be that guy where you're like, okay, maybe we're not worried about losing Peyton Bowen because a guy like – Hillman could be just as good, if not better than him when he gets to his ceiling. Um, or even if he moves down to linebacker, he has a really high ceiling as like a Rover type. If he grows into that, you know, now you don't have that. So really tough blow to the class. Um, I, I we'll get into some, maybe some other stuff with that, but those are just, I guess, kind of my initial thoughts. There is just, you know, like another, another really tough blow to a class that is still really good in general. Um, but they've definitely lost a little bit of luster and a lot of talent, um, you know, maybe in the last four to five months. Yeah, it's almost got to be considered like a, a deep commitment, right? I mean, I think that's what it is, but it's a little bit different when you're opting out of an NLI. But, um, you know, you look at Peyton Bowen, who decommitted, Keon Keeley, uh, in a way, Dante Moore decommitted. These are all high-profile athletes that I think are really difference makers, and two of them are safeties to where you're you're just left with the one safety and Ben Minnick in the class 
And Nathan, as you were talking about Hellman being, you know, a potential safety for Notre Dame, I never really pictured him at safety just because of the way his body is now. Obviously, it was possible, but I always pictured him being kind of an off-ball linebacker or some sort of rover kind of scenario, depending on what what uh, defense Notre Dame was running at the time. Uh, I feel like that uh, Golden has kind of gotten away from the rover position, or at least it's not exactly the same as it was. I'm not going to act like I'm the biggest X and O's guy in the world, but that's just <laughs> my casual eyes. That's what I see. Um, but yeah, there's no way around it. Losing Hillman really sucks. There's some backstory to it. We don't need to necessarily touch on, but I would imagine if it was up to him that he would be at Notre Dame, something happened behind the scenes. It's really unfortunate. There's no denying that he was one of the best athletes in the class period. And then Notre Dame was just going to find a spot for him. And I like what you said about, uh, Hillman being Notre Dame's baby in the sense that, when, when his name came up, we, you know, we were talking about him as like, oh, he, you know, he shows on the 24-7 sports profile as a quarterback. Like, is Notre Dame thinking about him as, as quarterback? This is right. before uh, Notre Dame had Kenny Minchie. So I was like, all right, I mean, this guy's a great athlete. I don't know if he's going to be a great quarterback necessarily. But, you know, we always say on here that you take, take guys and figure it out. Like, take the best athletes you can find. That's kind of the approach Marcus Freeman has taken. Take the best athletes, the most speed you can find, and then, you know, let them figure it, figure it out on the field. If you're a stud athlete in high school, you're likely playing both sides anyway. So let's just go figure it out. But um, there's no way around it. Losing Hillman is super unfortunate. It sucks. Um, I, I really liked him as an athlete. I think he was going to be potentially an early difference maker. I think he had a lot to learn. But that kind of athleticism, his size, you can't really teach. Um, on to some more positive news. Notre Dame has just about all of their coaching spots filled, depending on uh, if anybody else decides to leave. But for now, it's full. Marty Biaggi steps in as the special teams coordinator, and then Joe Rudolph at offensive line. Neither of those I'm going to say are my specialties. Those guys just kind of do their thing, and you only really notice them if it's bad. So I think they're both stepping into a really good position with Notre Dame. Brian Mason's shoes are just about impossible to fill. I guess you could say the same with Harry Heastan. Do you have any early thoughts on Biaggi or Rudolph? Yeah, I mean, I think we touched on Rudolph a little bit in another podcast, so maybe we don't have to belabor it too much, but – just in general, I mean, I think he's a really solid coach. I know a lot of Wisconsin and Virginia Tech fans, you know, want to throw out his name as a guy who's not very good. But I think that a lot of that is kind of just saltiness when a coach leaves your program or or whatever it may be. And I think in Wisconsin's case, he was, you know, not only the offensive line coach, but he was also the offensive coordinator. So certainly different parameters there from what you're judging. And then for Virginia Tech, I mean, that was kind of a team that was on the rebuild, right? So he went in there as a guy who – you know, was essentially on a, on a pretty poor team and was only there for one year. So it wasn't like there was much to work with overall. Um, But you see a lot of the guys, you know, saying good things about him. Sam Pendleton was recruited by him at Virginia tech. He had nothing but nice things to say about him when he, when he uh, spoke in front of the Notre Dame media this past week. And then I think there was a, an article on 24 seven sports today where Cam Williams was even talking about how Joe Rudolph was a guy who recruited him um, at to Virginia Tech. And so he already had kind of a prior relationship to him. And so he kind of knows him a little bit. And, and I think overall with Rudolph, he's just a guy that, you know, wherever he's been has been a very well, a, high, a highly respected offensive line coach. And I think that's going to continue at Notre Dame. I think we brought up his recruiting prowess in the past as well. I mean, at Wisconsin, he was able to land, you know, guys that five-star guys like Nolan Rucci, Logan Brown, you know, recruited a bunch of guys that are now in the NFL. Um, I, Joe Tipman, who's going to be a, you know, a second or third round pick by was uh, out of Wisconsin this, 
this coming draft um, was recruited and coached by Rudolph for a lot of his, you know, time at, at, uh, at Wisconsin. Um, who's that? There's a really good center in the NFL. I forget his name. Um, has a weird, like that, like that R Y Z or whatever, whatever. Oh, Ramchak. Yeah. Is that, is that how you say it? Um, I think it's Ryan Ramchak. Yeah. 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 So he was an, like an all American at, um, at Wisconsin and obviously a really good pro so far. So a lot Rudolph has a lot of guys that are in the league that he can point to and a lot of successful running games and offensive lines at Wisconsin specifically. And then in Biagi's mm-hmm. case, I mean, I think it's one of those situations where it's going to be hard to replace Brian Mason. I think Brian Mason is sort of a unicorn when it comes to special teams. He's kind of one of a kind. He's elite. And I think Mark, uh, you know, Marty Biagi is just really good. And so there's no shame in that. It's just, you're moving on from a guy who might be the best at his position in both the NFL and the college ranks. And you're getting a guy that I think is overall just considered a really good coach and a guy that knows Notre Dame pretty well as he, you know, he was there as an analyst and um, or a GA, whatever it was in the past. So. Um, overall, I mean, I think you replaced really good guys with also really good guys. And I think at least on paper, and I, and I, and I think that's hard sometimes to, to do. And sometimes fans from programs, you know, they have a hard time moving on from those guys. So they don't maybe give the, the new guys uh proper respect, but I think Notre Dame did a really good job here. Yeah. I think uh, I got a couple of things to add here. You know, whenever a guy's leaving your program, he's the worst. And then whoever you hire in, Oh, he's the best. He's the, he's the best coach ever. So um, that's just kind of how fans are naturally. Uh, a couple thoughts here on Rudolph that, you know, you kind of touched on. He has the NFL prowess, like you mentioned, in terms of recruiting. He's put guys in the league that he can point to. And I think this isn't even necessarily being talked about. Hopefully he does stay at Notre Dame if he's doing a good job. But if he's looking to continue to move on, he's about to have two more first-round picks he can point to and probably claim for at least coaching one year. I mean, <laughs> Joe Alt and Blake Fisher. So how about that? You get two more first-round picks and – uh, Joe Alt, if he continues on his pace, he might be a top five pick at this point. Um, you know, everybody wants that big left tackle that you can trust. They're getting paid just crazy amounts. Um, Mike Golick, the other Mike Golick Jr. actually the other day was just tweeting the Notre Dame second contracts the offensive linemen are getting, and Joe Walt is you know it's down the down the road a wee bit, but he I have no doubt that he's going to be uh, the next one at Notre Dame to just get a massive offensive line contract. So uh, definitely happy for him on that way in the future but it's definitely written in the cards for him and then the thing you said about sam pendleton um i've taken it a different route actually you know not even necessarily his his relationship with joe rudolph but if you guys don't watch him already on notre dame's uh youtube page when you uh, this is a new thing with freeman where he lets all the, the freshmen speak but right we read about these athletes all the time you know through the recruiting process maybe you get them on video if if they're into that a lot of guys aren't but when they're speaking in front of like the Notre Dame press, it's such a good way to get a true read for a guy's character. And I came away so impressed with almost all of the guys, like nearly blown away by, you know, just how well they spoke, how like eloquently they answered questions and the, just really intelligent dudes. And that's what, that's what makes you feel good as a Notre Dame fan is that you're getting great athletes, but ultimately you're getting great people that are well-spoken and are going to make a difference in their community. And I totally took that away from Sam Pendleton. Everybody talked about him being like well-spoken, good kid, this and that. I mean, that's that's pretty much a Notre Dame kid to a T. But man, um, he, I was really impressed with his uh, with his interview. It makes it hard to not root for a kid when you see interviews like that, where you know you just you can tell that they're a good person. 
Yeah, I think I was texting you on the side, like before you had listened to all of them. And I was like, oh man, great house, great interview. And then I was like, oh, Braylon James just one up them. And then I'll, and then I didn't even watch Pendleton at that point in time yet. And then Pendleton was like probably the best one. Yeah. All those guys, man, were just super well spoken. And it, it, it and, and I think like outside of some of the recruiting blunders that this class had, and this we've already kind of discussed all of that at, at nauseum, but all uh, in general, like I think sometimes it's hard for Notre Dame to get the really, really well-spoken guys that are also elite athletes. And I think in this class, even though it might not reflect in a ranking standpoint because because some of the losses, I really do think that this is still a much better class than some of the Brian Kelly classes out there, or at least probably all of them. If if I mean outside of maybe 2013 or something like that, where you're getting those elite elite athletes that you want. But also, like you, like you said, you point to the YouTube videos that you can go find, and they're, uh, you know, these kids belong at Notre Dame from an academic standpoint and personality standpoint as well. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, you know, obviously, the decommitments happen; they matter. It's a, it's a blemish on on the the class itself. But when you look at, if you were to look at the class and just forget about the decommitments, if this is just a Kelly class, you're pumped about it. So sure. obviously I know I, I, I want Keon Keeley, Peyton Bowen in the, in the class too, but at the same time, it's a good class without them and they deserve, you know, everybody to root for them just as hard as you normally would. Speaking of guys leaving classes, Nathan, um, <laughs> the basketball team's falling apart at the seams. Um, you're much more in tune with this than I am. I'm just uh, reading the news and not pumped about it. So I, I'm going to let you go on to this, but I mean, JJ Starling goes home to, to Syracuse. He might be the only one. Um, other, well, Robbie Carmody's gone too. I was going to say Dom Campbell entered his name, but I'm seeing on Twitter that he might stick around. And then surprising that Van Allen Lubin hasn't entered his name. I don't know what, what more, you know about that. I feel like it was kind of expected that, you know, this whole, this whole team essentially is just going to be gone only Marcus Burton's left in the 23 cycle, but then, you know, sure. Lubin hasn't left yet. So is he, is he the guy to hold everything together? Yeah. I mean, it looks like Lubin's going to at least wait out the new head coach. I mean, I would assume that that probably has a little bit of a time frame on it. You know, if the new yeah. head coach isn't announced for another month, you know, then maybe he reconsiders things, but I don't expect that to be the case. I kind of think things will sort of wrap up after the first weekend of, of March madness, which, you know, is obviously this weekend. So if, couple of these guys that are on Notre Dame's radar um, head coaching wise, they lose, you know, one of their first two games, you know, then maybe things get wrapped up a little bit more quickly or, you know, someone like Chris Holtman from Ohio state who didn't make the tournament. If, if there's any chance that he ends up the Notre Dame, you know, the next Notre Dame head coach, maybe he's on campus, you know, soon for an interview or, or whatever it may be. So, yeah, like I have, I, I have some interesting thoughts, I feel like, on this situation because there's a part of me that's like, okay, you want the new – whoever comes in as the new coach to have some sort of foundation. Like, it'd be really nice if he had Starling, Campbell, and Lubin to work with and build upon because I think we all agree that that was a pretty solid class even though it was a disappointing season overall for Notre Dame basketball. But at the same time, like, there is a benefit, I think, sometimes to having a new guy come in being able to put his full stamp on a program where the old head coach, even though it was a great one in Mike Bray throughout, you know, his 23 years, you can kind of just start fresh, make your own mark, 
you don't have any of that old stuff there and you don't have to like live up to, you know, expectations or something, whatever you, and then you have a few years to sort of build it up. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, especially in college basketball or in basketball in general, it can move quickly. Like, you know, Notre Dame could technically speaking, be a pretty good, pro, uh, pretty good basketball team next year. Maybe that doesn't mean they make the tournament, but maybe they're a bubble team or whatever it may be. So it'd be nice to have some of those guys back. And so like in general, like if Lubin and Campbell are back, cause obviously Starling's already committed to Syracuse. So that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. If you're able to keep guys like Campbell and Lubin bring in whatever coach it is, you know, there's a, there's a chance that, like I said, the team's competitive next year and you, you see something in the future um, or, or in the near future, I should say uh, with, with the program. I think I mentioned in a group chat the other day and I, that you're in, you know, there's a, there's a couple best case scenarios for me. Um, and I, I guess we can get into maybe some of the guys yeah. that, they're, that they're targeting. But for example, like Darian DeVries at Creighton, or at a, not at Creighton, he used to be at Creighton as an assistant coach, uh, at Drake. You know, Drake has been a very quality program over the last, you know, five, six years, however long he's been there. Um, you know, winning 20 plus games every season, making the tournament several times as well. I think I have them going to the Elite Eight in my bracket, which seems to be a little bit, probably a little bit wishful thinking. But also at the same time, I don't know if I want them going to the Elite Eight because um, I want that maybe wrapped up if he's going to be the guy. But like, for example, let's just say they hire Darian DeVries and he brings his son, Tucker DeVries, who's a very good player, was the player of the year in whatever conference that Drake is in, um, was the freshman of the year last year already has some first first round buzz to his name as a prospect would probably instantly be Notre Dame's best player. Let's just say you're able to keep Campbell, keep Lubin, you bring in Tucker DeVries, you know, you have JR uh, Coney Etchney on the team, Mark Marcus Burton coming in, you land a couple other transfers. Like that's a team to me that could be pretty successful right now. You never hire a guy simply because his son's going to be good, but I think Darian DeVries has proven that he's a good coach. Right. So like that's kind of a best case. And maybe you bring Brady Dunlap back in the class, which was reported yesterday that he's going to kind of maybe wait out that process as well um, until he makes a final decision, which I, which was kind of music to my ears because I just kind of assumed he was sort of long gone at that point. Right. Um, but then the other, the other situation is maybe a guy like Micah Shrewsbury, who's now proven at Penn state, the power five level. We know Penn state basketball has sort of been, you know, nothing for, for a long time. Right. And, you know, for being a really good football school, just like Notre Dame is like, they have not had the success that Notre Dame, Ohio state, and some maybe other programs that are seen more for football um, have had. So you bring in a guy like Micah Shrewsbury and sort of the same thing. Maybe you're able to keep a guy like Dunlap in the class and keep, um, you know, Lubin and Campbell from transferring. And then he also has a son in the 2023 cycle who isn't as highly regarded as Mar Marcus Burton or as Parker Fredrickson, who's now committed to Wake Forest. He might be signed to Wake Forest at this point as well. But, but let's just say you're able to bring, you know, bring some of those guys in. Those are some best case scenarios, at least for next year or building the roster. Cause then you see still a three man class or some quality transfers coming in and it might not be this like really, really slow re rebuild that some are expecting, but then you have the worst case scenario where, regardless of the head coach you bring in, let's just say it is DeVries or, or Shrewsbury and Campbell and Lubin walk, and you don't bring in, you know, you don't bring back Dunlap and you don't bring, you know, maybe Shrewsbury's kid with or whatever it may be. Then you have a little bit longer rebuild and you're looking at, you know, maybe a couple of years until you're, until you're back to, you know, to relevance, I guess, in the college basketball community. 
Yeah, I think I echo a lot of your thoughts there. Um, I think there are certainly some good scenarios for Notre Dame. I think there's more bad ones in the sense of I think it's going to be a while before maybe this is negative for me. I think it's going to be a, a while before they're relevant or making the tournament. I think this is a probably a three or four year thing. You got to hire the right guy and then continue to build the program essentially from scratch. We'll see what happens. Uh, turning over a basketball roster is a lot easier than a football roster. So this isn't like a, a five or six year thing where you have to, you know, get out old guys, bring in your guys, train them up, this and that. But Nathan, off the air, we kind of spoke about how we seem to think that Notre Dame has narrowed it down to their top four targets. And I'm going to touch on each one, but kind of think while I'm talking here, I, I want you to, to rank them in terms of who you'd like most to least. So sure. we're going to start with Darian DeVries, as you had mentioned from Drake, very accomplished. He would likely bring his son. That's uh, that's super interesting in this in the sense of, making Notre Dame good immediately and potentially a first round pick and bringing that like sexiness back to the program, I guess. Right. Um, and then you look at Michael Shrewsbury from Penn state. I've liked what I've seen from him, especially in the big 10 tournament. I think that he's a good coach and almost beating Purdue when I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily or, or untrue to say that Purdue has a much more talented roster than he's dealing with at Penn state and to, to be down in that game, but make a comeback and, nearly win it by putting this the press on Purdue, which I don't understand why teams don't do more anyways. When they have young guards that can't really handle the ball and you just make Zach Eady panic. Anyways, Matt <laughs> Langle from Colgate has a team that I'm taking probably a little pretty far in the tournament, I want to say. I have yeah, to beat Texas, huh? I like I like Colgate a lot from what I've been seeing of them. Again, not necessarily a, an expert, but uh, you got to pick your upsets and I'm going to go with the toothpaste brand there with Matt Langle. And then um, Chris Holtman from Ohio State is a guy that's been talked about on Twitter quite a bit. Uh, I'm seeing – I was reading some Ohio State threads today where it seems like whether it's the fans or the administration, like, want him gone, but he seems like he's a good coach. Again, not going to act like I'm an expert on the guy, but I do know the name. Ohio State's a big program. So I, I would I would think that all four of these guys would be good hires, but I'm kind of curious how you're going to power rank them. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, adding Holtman to it makes it a lot more exciting for me because that, uh, and I'll explain here. But like, I think, I think I would still lean DeVries as my number one. Um, I just think the idea that he's, you know, that young and up and coming coach. He hasn't necessarily proven at the Power Five level yet, but he's a Midwest guy. Was at Creighton for a very long time, um, you know. So then I think Creighton and Notre Dame are very similar in terms of like their style and the guys that they bring in and different things like that. Even though Notre Dame is maybe a bigger brand overall. Um, you know, and then obviously moving on to Drake and being highly successful. I, I love coaches at power five level or not at power five levels, but love coaches at the smaller school level, like the G fives and, you know, or the non-power fives and stuff like that, that are just kind of successful from the shoot. Like it wasn't like Drake was some powerhouse before he started, started there. I mean, they've had some success in the past, obviously, but he came in and said, yo, the, like, we're going to be really good from the start. And so he would kind of be my number one. I, I don't really include bringing his son as part of the reason that's kind of just an added bonus for, like you said, you know, the next year or two, which would be nice. Um, Shrewsbury to me is second. Um, the reason he's ahead of Holtman, at least in my opinion, is the fact that the ties to Indiana um, outside of the Boston Celtics and now with Penn state, all of his coaching has been done at in the state of Indiana um, that includes stops at 
Purdue and Butler under some of the, you know, Brad Stevens, who's one of the best coaches of our generation, you know, now the president of operations or whatever for the Boston Celtics. Um, that's actually where the Shrewsbury Celtics ties come from as well. He followed Stevens to the Celtics when he went. Um, and then he was Matt Painter's right-hand man at Purdue for a long time before he got the, uh, the Penn state job. So not only has he done well instantly at Penn state, like you mentioned, um, but the ties to Indiana, um, you know, even IU South Bend, he was the head coach there for, you know, a couple seasons, whatever it was. Um, so he'd be number two for me. Chris Holtman would be three, not because I don't like him. Um, I actually think all four of these candidates could sort of, um, you know, I, I could get behind in, in certain ways. Um, I, I, the, the questions I have about Holtman are, first of all, why does Ohio State, why, or why do Ohio State fans specifically want him gone? Why were there rumors of his, you know, possibly getting fired? And some people think that maybe they just don't want to pay the buyout and that's why they've kept him. Um, you know, they, they made it to seven straight NCAA tournaments before having a down year this year. So, I mean, obviously they're like, I would kill for Notre Dame to go to seven straight NCAA tournaments, regardless of the outcome in those tournaments. But, you know, some people say he, his team loses in big games and, you know, they don't perform well in March and all that kind of stuff. You know, maybe that's just a Ohio state expectation, or maybe he's not cut out for a school like that. And maybe Notre Dame, he'd be a little bit more cut out for, it. I don't know. Regardless, I think he's a guy you have to take a serious look at. Um, I think he's a really solid head coach overall. Um, believe he was at Butler immediately after Brad Stevens and then obviously kept Butler afloat and then got the Ohio State job. So from you know, from that perspective, he has some other success outside of just Ohio State. Um, and I think he'd be a good fit at Notre Dame. And then Langle, like it's hard to not like Langle, right? He's a smart guy, Penn graduate, has been at Colgate since 2011. And their last five years or so, I think he's made the tournament every single season. So, I mean, that's, it's hard to argue with that success. So not only has he won, you know, 20 plus games every year, he's finished because that's a one bid conference, right? So you can be really good and lose one game in your conference tournament and not make the tournament. And they, they make it every year right now. My, my question with Langle is because he's been there since 2011 and only the last five years have been successful why did it take him seven seasons to be good? Because they were under 500 each of his first five seasons or seven seasons there. So like maybe he's figured it out. He obviously has figured it out at Colgate, but is it going to take him seven seasons to make Notre Dame, you know, good again? We don't need that. He probably won't see seven, seven seasons at Notre Dame if they're not making the tournament or making some headway, um, you know, in at least a few of those years, because, you know, as, as bad as Mike Bray was the last five or six seasons, Prior to that, he was a tournament team, you know, every seven out of 10 years or eight out of 10 years, all that kind of stuff. So he had a lot of success. So that's my one question on Langle is, is it going to take him a while to build a program or did he kind of get past that? And now he's figured out how to essentially build the program earlier. Um, and, you know, maybe that maybe it's easier to do at a better job, too, because you're going to have guys that want to come play for you. Gotcha. OK, I admittedly didn't necessarily do my research on Shrewsbury, but. A lot of ties, you know, for me, IUSB is a school where a lot of my friends go. Um, and then Butler is right down the road living here in Indianapolis. So that's super cool for me personally. But, um, yeah, thanks for the info on on the coaching search. And, you know, I'm excited to see where this all ends up. I, I imagine we'd have a guy here probably in the next two or three weeks. And I think that'll bring a lot of comfort for everybody that, you know, thinks this is going to turn into a shit show or something like that. I don't think it is. Sure. Um, I 
you got to trust Swarbrick to make the right hire. Um, these processes for Notre Dame head coaches tend to take a little while, especially when you add in the tournament. So I'd say just be patient. I think that there's they're going through a long vetting process. And the last couple of Notre Dame coaches, have, uh, basketball coaches, have been really good. And you'd like to keep that tradition up. You want a guy that isn't using it as a stepping stone, but sees Notre Dame as a program that can be really good. And like you said, get back to seven out of 10 tournaments. And I think they can be better than that. So uh, especially with how the ACC looks recently, uh, I think there's a, there's a spot and there's plenty of room for Notre Dame to, to be a powerhouse, you know, outside of the, the Dukes and North Carolinas of the world. Can they consistently be that third or fourth team in the ACC and consistently do well in the ACC tournament? So I'm excited to see where this coaching search ends up. If you, so if you had to put like a, a date on it when we would really know a guy, will you say like first week of April? So uh, kind of echoing what you were saying, like, I don't even know if it's considered like be pa- like patience for Notre Dame fans. The problem is, is we've known Mike Bray was going to be gone for, you know, two or three months or whatever. Right. Yeah. And, but like during the season, unless you're hiring a guy that's on his couch or you're hiring an NBA guy or something like that, that's willing to come down, you know, especially with Mike Bray finishing out the season, it wasn't like he was fired mid season. He was finishing out the entire year you know, we're still very early on in the process. Most of the guys that they're entertaining are still playing like the coaches, like they're still in the tournament. Yeah, that's what like the Shrewsbury's there, you know, Darian DeVries is there. Holtman's not. So, I mean, if you really want Holtman and like that report that came out today that they're kind of zeroing in on him, if that's true, then, you know, like that could be done this weekend, technically speaking, if it's factual, um, but you know, even Col- but Colgate, but like the thing is I kind of expect at least two out of those three teams, maybe all three of those teams to be finished by the end of this weekend. Um, just because they are lower seeds. I mean, Penn State's a 10, Colgate's a 15, and what, Drake's a 12. So, I mean, conceivably, all of them could lose their first-round matchup, right? Penn State and, got a horrible draw, too. Yeah, exactly. So, like I said, I personally have Drake going a little bit farther. I think I have him going into next weekend. So, if DeBreeze is your guy, maybe you have to wait. Um, I, I don't see Penn State making it past the, the second round, and I don't see Colgate beating Texas, personally. And if they do, then, you know – they're probably going to have a tough time winning their second matchup just because, you know, it's hard for those teams to usually win two in a row. But Mason, it wouldn't surprise me if, if this is done by the middle of next week or early next week, at least from a perspective, like how we always know, or it's not maybe official. The the school hasn't announced it yet, but it's like, it's official. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Like that's kind of what I expect is if like, let's just say those guys are available next week. I sort of expect that to be done pretty, pretty quickly. Well, good. I like to hear that. Um, I think we're going to keep it a little bit shorter today. Let everybody get back to filling out their brackets. Hope everybody has a good March and I hope you get a perfect bracket. That'd be super cool. Um, We (laughs) are doing our own brackets here, of course. Feel free to drop your brackets underneath this post where you found, uh, where you found this podcast. I'd love to see how everybody does keep track of everything and, you know, see how everything goes. Unfortunately, Notre Dame isn't in it, but I'm about to get back to my brackets. Feel free to follow winning? us. What's that? Who do you have winning? We got to put it's our It's so gross. I have – it's so gross. I have Alabama. Oh, that is gross. But I went, went kind of weird, man. I got Purdue over Texas. I don't have Purdue making the Elite Eight. So, I mean, most people that I've told that to, they're like, yeah, that's weird. But I'm like, it's a one versus a two, so it's not that crazy, right? Right. Um, if that would give that that would give people something different. We haven't seen Purdue like win one, even though they've had good teams. 
And it's not like Texas has been like some dominant basketball school of late, but like that would give someone people something different. Even, I mean, even Alabama would give people something different. So, yeah. And I'm certainly rooting for Purdue. I have a lot of great friends that maybe some people that listen to this that went to Purdue. So I'll be rooting for them. But uh, what I've seen from them, even though they won the, the Big Ten tournament, maybe it's a dumb thing to say. I wasn't necessarily impressed. So I'll say that. It's but uh, you can follow us at Golden Homers, me at Mason Plummer underscore, Nathan at Nathan underscore Erbach. Follow us for all the latest Notre Dame stuff. We're expecting some news on the basketball front and hopefully recruiting, Notre Dame football recruiting starts to kick up here soon. It usually does during the month of March and then especially into April as the weather gets nicer. But Nathan, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Yeah, just some big recruiting weekends coming up. So look for us to kind of get back to some of that recruiting talk here soon. And that's what we enjoy talking about. So uh, hopefully we have some news on that front very soon. Appreciate you guys listening as always. Go Irish. The Golden Homers are a proud sponsor of Homes for Troops, a publicly funded 501c3 nonprofit organization that builds and donates specially adapted custom homes nationwide for severely injured post-9-11 veterans. Since its inception in 2004, nearly 90 cents out of every dollar spent has gone directly to our program services for veterans. Visit at hfotusa.org. Thank you.